You're listening to Ants Talk. Smith faces challenges that would leave most people broken. After growing up and becoming a parent herself, she was then faced with new challenges after her son was born with Down syndrome. She's become an advocate for disability freedom, has even published a book on the subject. Please welcome to the show, Linda Smith. How are you, Linda? I am very, very good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for, you for joining us from all the way in Las Vegas. Is that correct? You're there at the moment? Um, I'm actually sitting in San Diego right now. Oh, lovely. I just arrived in San Diego from Las Vegas, which is my home. I've just actually visited Las Vegas. I loved it. Very oh, yeah. unique place. <laughs> A wonderful place to live, even though people can't imagine. Yeah. Well, funny enough, when I, we arrived, it was actually raining and storming. No. And it was cold. And I was like, oh. hang on, is this Las Vegas? <laughs> yeah, when was that? Because it only um, rains one day a year. <laughs> yeah, it was, pr- it was probably a one day. <laughs> it was about, I think it was about four months ago now, May, I think okay. it was. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're actually starting to see more rain. Yeah. yeah. So, Linda, I wondered if, um, if you could actually tell us about your childhood. Sure. Uh, you know, my, my book, Unwanted, is... is basically um, based on the journey with my son that was born with a disability. But I start out um, with the backstory uh, of my being born in uh, Toronto, I'm sorry, in Blackpool, England, into an abusive situation. My father was just not a a nice person. I'm finally able to say, after writing the book, actually able to say that he was a a pervert. It took me writing that book to actually say that and be be okay saying it. Yeah. So um, he was a child abuser. And um, we, at age 10, I, my family and I sort of escaped from him to Toronto. And I turned 11 in Toronto. And then he found us and came to Canada uh, and we went into hiding and, and for quite a while we were actually homeless in, in Canada and um, in this six month period of time as we moved around and he was looking for us he eventually found us and uh, came after the family so I had a sister, a brother and my mother and uh, he came after us with a gun, he was going to kill the whole family and uh, he was picked up by the police. Uh, they were forewarned and picked him up, and he was deported uh, for carrying a, a weapon. And uh, that was the last time that I saw the pervert father. He was sent back to England and could never come back into the United States. Wow. So that was uh, that was the beginnings of what became, I think. Um, you know, the, you can sort of lay down and die when you have these things happen to you, or you can um, maybe they're character building things that happen in your life. I, I chose to believe that uh, my backstory has really helped me to become the person that I have become. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't affect everybody that way. It, it, it sort of destroyed my sister. Uh, but I just didn't want to be that poor girl, that poor little girl. Yeah. Were you, were you the only one in the family, do you know, that he was abusing? or No, he abused my sister also, not my yeah. brother. Yeah. Uh, so my sister, she was my older sister, and neither of us knew it was happening. Yeah, isn't uh, it crazy? 
Yeah, and it happens a lot. And they it say, does. you know, one in every four girls will be um, molested by someone they love and trust before mm -hmm. age 13. And the incidence actually has grown with boys because it used to be one in 13 boys, but now it's very close to the same as, as girls. It's just that boys didn't talk about it as well, yeah. that it was happening to them. Yeah, funny enough, I mean, I've got history of it in my family with my mother. Um, she was abused by her father when she was younger. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a sad, sad statistic. It is. And I mean, it, it's, it's uh, you know, we've sort of sat back and it, a lot of things now as we we're growing up and watching my mother, you know, age as she did, it, it, a lot of things became a lot more obvious once we knew what had actually happened and why she reacted in certain ways and, you know, why she was the person she was. Um, she really let it sort of, she kept it a secret for majority of her life and it sort of only really came out in probably her 60s. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just thankful that she's been able to let it out, you know, the, let the cat out of the bag as such and, live the rest of her life, you know, the best way that uh -huh. she can, you know, because it, well, it really say, does affect you. Yeah. Sometimes I like to think all the time, certainly for me, what doesn't kill you makes you strong. Uh, it sure does. It and does. Um, I, I really, when I, when I think back, I don't know that I would change much because although as crazy as that sounds, I've come to the place uh, where I believe everything happens for a reason and it's, uh, you know, my mantra has always been to make lemonade uh, when handed lemons and I've done that my whole life. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, with a lot of people, uh, you know, they find it very challenging to speak about this subject, um, especially if they've, you know, been privy to it themselves. But I truly believe that the more we speak about it, the, you know, and we can already see these changes happening, happening in history where the more it's spoken about, the more prevalent it is in, in our eyes and our conscious and we can then look out for it and, you know, see pre-warning signs and maybe even stop the abuse. I think that it just, it helps everybody by talking about it. It really does. I think so. You can hopefully prevent it from happening to someone else or exactly. know that it's not your fault. That's you it. know, when you're, when you're able to voice it, it kind of, it's past. Yeah, that's it. Um, so what was it like uh, when your son Christopher came into your life? Well, that was um, unexpected also because by, by now I, I had taught myself to dance. I became a, a dancer on Canadian television. I eventually became a lead dancer on a nationally televised show. I was a model and an actress and everything was just going great. I was on the fast track to success. My, my sister was uh, actually in Hollywood. She was in several movies. I was going to go to Hollywood. Things were just great. And uh, I married a guy who was an entertainer and he was the Canadian entertainer of the year. A handsome piano player and and he lived in Las Vegas he had immigrated to the United States and he lived in Las Vegas and so we got married moved to Las Vegas uh, I moved there had a home and life was great I mean I was great I wasn't um, I wasn't a dancer in in Las Vegas but I was acting and modeling in commercials and some of the conventions uh, shows 
Sure. And so, but I just had carved out this life for me, and I had an eye on, on Hollywood. And then I got pregnant with Chris, had a, a great pregnancy, had no reason to believe that I wasn't going to have a healthy child. And uh, at the 11th hour, eight months pregnant, a decision was made that uh, my husband, Glenn, was going to be appearing in Toronto, headlining in a show there on the due date. So we decided that I should jump on a plane, go to Toronto. Now, our home was Las Vegas, but I should go to Toronto, get squared away with a doctor so that we would be together mm. when the baby was born. And I jumped on a plane, and the plane was um, what they called a junket flight. I don't know if Australia, if you know what that is, but junket oh. flights, industry, industry flights. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So, you know, Las Vegas would bring industries into town, people who would spend money. So through a friend who was an entertainer, uh, Wayne Newton, um, he secured a seat for me at eight months pregnant, and I flew to Las Vegas. Uh, midway to Las Vegas, I went into labor. <laughs> wow. Yes, and the uh, pilot had came out to talk to me and pointed towards Chicago and said, since you're an emergency, we could land there. Or we, it's only one more hour to Toronto. And, uh, and he was sort of kidding with me saying, I've delivered babies before. <laughs> and uh, he said, my wife would be very happy if I make it to Toronto. And then he said, you're in good hands because this was a medical junket. There were 70 doctors on oh, board. <laughs> how amazing. <laughs> yeah. So here I was in labor, but the plane crossed the border, landed in Toronto I was rushed to hospital, and three hours later, Christopher was born with Down syndrome, and that started me on the next phase of my journey was um, in having a child who at first I was told was not going to live. I, he, I was told in very clinical terms, he has um, chromosome abnormalities, he has a heart condition and respiratory problems, he has all of these things. Um, and the good news is he's not going to live very long. Yeah. So that's what I was told. And I remember at the time thinking, well, good, that's what's supposed to be because this is not the child that I was planning on having. Yeah. And, and that instant uh, rejection of my child, and I had yet to tell his father that the baby was born with all these problems. And, um, and then... Um, quickly seeing this helpless little baby um, who, through no fault of his own, he's born with Down syndrome. Uh, it's just mm. a fluke. This happens one in so many births. Uh, yeah. It's a, you know, this extra One per 1,000, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. And so here you have this, this little guy. Um, but what really sent me on the journey was... Of course, I accepted him. He was my son. He was this cute little guy um, who was struggling to live. And then I quickly found out about the discrimination that existed, starting with the doctor. You know, these things are a fluke. This just happens. Forget about him. Go have another one. There's nothing wrong with you. There are places for kids like this. Um, there was this rejection and the good news is that he's not going to live. That was the first huge rejection. The other was when we went to go back into the United States, 
we he was he fell into an exclusionary class of individuals people exempt from entering the United States as permanent residents were number one criminals number two retarded people what? number three communists <laughs> and that was the written law and language wow. at the time and this is not the dark ages and it was shocking to know that because of this condition he was persona non gratis in, in the United yeah. States and also and we had an immigration attorney early on and um, we looked into the Canadian laws well Canada wouldn't Canada the good you know Canada wouldn't limit people from coming into the into Canada and the language then the written law was section 212a of the Immigration Act says people exempt from entering Canada as permanent residents are number one morons imbeciles and idiots ah. and their families number two criminals number three so this was the brought him home uh, and we would travel back and forth across the border because you couldn't see that this was a disabled child but at age 18 months an immigration official as we were crossing into the United States because we were appearing all over Canada and I and I was appearing also at that point in my life and um, we, immigration officials saw the sort of little slanted eyes that Down syndrome people tend to to have and um, and he said where's his visa because we showed our green cards we yes. showed everything and we said well he's uh, we've applied for it and this guy basically wouldn't let Chris in the country um, and when we tried to sneak him in across another border the next day uh, we had friends bring him over the next day um, because we had to continue on because we were appearing in Syracuse New York yeah uh, we took Chris back across the border and a couple of friends of ours brought him across, but they were stopped at the border, and he was labeled an undesirable alien at 18 months of age. Wow. So um, that's what the book is, is largely about, is this journey with my Chris, who changed my life from being a dancer to a disability advocate and a fundraiser. Um, and in the end, well... Through friends, we got uh, Vice President uh, Hubert Humphrey became Chris's sponsor. We were able to get Chris into the country on six-month visiting visas. And so he lived in Las Vegas, but we'd have to have the visas renewed every six months. When Hubert Humphrey died, uh, Vice President Hubert Humphrey died, we were told to get Chris out of the country. And Chris was seven. Well, we didn't do that. Uh, I kept Chris, sort of hid him away, and so I was harboring an illegal alien in my home for the next 10 years uh, while I was raising, I raised over a half a billion dollars for a particular charity serving the disabled in Las Vegas. It's an amazing organization. Um, and a lot of people in Las Vegas did not know that this, you know, I'm a very well-known fundraiser and in Las Vegas, but people didn't know that I was hiding an illegal alien, my own son, in my home. <laughs> How and, incredible. Uh, it, I, it, 
right before he turned 18, um, by a fluke, I was able to get him legal in the United States. That is incredible. Yeah. So basically, no, no, neither country wanted him. No. That is no. bizarre. Absolutely. They, they bring such value. Uh, if 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 we took the time to get to know people who um, appear at first sight to be different from us, yeah. you find that they're they're more like us than different from us. Number one, they want the same. They have the same dreams. They just want to be accepted and want to belong. They just That's want a right. chance at a life that we take for granted. To to be honest, um, Down syndrome people are actually. One of my favorite type people. Yes. I've I had the most amazing experience. I was living in Sydney, um, and I, I'd finished work, and I was walking home, and I wasn't really having a great day. I was actually feeling quite down this day, and I, at the time, I had bleached blonde hair. I used to do this a lot when I was younger, <laughs> and I was standing on the other side of the street, and about to cross the road, and I could see sort of like a a very, you know, a group of young kids, obviously family members on the other side of the street. And as, you know, the, the little green man clicked on and started, you know, beeping for us to walk across, I looked over and I saw it was a like an older boy, an older girl, and then the young boy who had Down syndrome. And he literally looked up at me and his face just lit up. And he just literally ran towards me and gave me the biggest hug. Yes. And I, I almost, I mean, I almost started crying. I literally felt like I'd been touched by God. It was yes. absolutely life-changing. And yeah. they were going, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, do not apologize. I've, my day has just been made. This is incredible. So well, I've always been a huge fan and a, few, a huge advocate because I really do believe that so many of us overlook people because of the way they look or the way they are and stuff like that. And we really are missing some golden opportunities in life by getting to know these people. I, I, I absolutely know how you feel. And I, and that experience, uh, if people would just open their hearts to, to these exactly. folks, they, they could teach us so much about how, how to be and how to, to be loving yeah. People are, and what does happen is when you see a person with a disability, you tend to see the disability That's right. and not take time to get to know the person that's inside. I, uh, so I have two boys. Jason is uh, Christopher's younger brother, and he had two buddies with Down syndrome. And one day they were walking, um, they were leaving the convention center in Las Vegas, and there were thousands of people there, and they wanted to cross the street, and the guard was holding everyone from crossing the street. And these two boys both had Down syndrome, and they want to cross the street, and there's a guard holding the, her hand up, stopping people while the cars go by. Yeah. And everybody's mad at the guard because she kept them there a long time, and she's, she's letting all these cars go, and finally... Everybody walks across the street, including my son and his two buddies, two Down syndrome buddies. And there's like hundreds of people crossing the street. And when they got to the other side, my son Jason realized only one of the two boys was with him. And he turned around and he saw the one, the one boy with the guard. And he had his finger up in his face and he was shaking his finger at her. And Jason went running back. Oh, my God, you know, he's telling her off. And he ran up. And he saw the guard had tears in her eyes 
And what James was saying was, thank you for saving us all, for keeping oh, us safe. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and who says that? Not those hundreds of people no. were mad at a woman that was trying to keep them all safe. And, and it just took doing a her job, yeah. Yeah, took a person with Down syndrome to realize what was really happening. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing the vision that they have of life. It, it really is, you know, it, it's something that we, we really should be tapping. Well, you know, the, it's that, you know, I always say with my son, he passed away this year. I and saw. I if I talk about him, so I got to be careful um, in this recent uh, period of time. But um, I, I tell people, for I, I had a two-year-old for 48 years. Yeah, yeah. So you have, you know, intellectually, my son was very profoundly disabled. Early on, he probably became a seven-year-old intellectually, yep. but then he started to regress. Um, and so he was, he needed a lot of care. Uh, but with that, on the upside came all the love, as you said, that hug that you got. Yeah. I would get that 24-7 if I, if I wanted. It was never mad. They never hold a grudge. But that challenge of at, at some point as you're aging, I'm worrying about, I mean, we don't worry about our, we want our healthy kids to live well past us. When you have a child born with a disability who's so dependent on you, you actually have to admit, I don't want my child to live longer than me. Yeah. I, 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 I want him to go before I do. Because no one will love him the way I do. No one yeah. will understand that he, you know, he, his butter is only so much butter goes on the toast. And that he, you know, he likes his cup of water exactly one inch from the side of the bed. You know, who is going to know that? And yeah, so exactly. it's the, this thing that you have that you can't believe that you think about that you want this child to pass before you. Hmm. And I started a charity uh, named for my Chris. It's called the Christopher Smith Foundation. And the proceeds from my book go to it. And what the foundation will do is reward caregivers. Because I was really fortunate in that I found in the last two years of Chris's life, I found this wonderful couple, um, Sunny and I saw and them actually on your website, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're the angels who walk amongst us every day are those wonderful people that choose a vocation of caring for some of the most profoundly disabled people. And so, but folks that choose this a career don't ever get rich. They don't no. make a lot of money. And so I want, I started the Christopher Smith Foundation so that I could reward them and give them, give caregivers a break give them um, gift certificates to go, go get your hair done and go for a massage or um, go to the movies and dinner. And so that's what, uh, that's what I'm doing right that's now. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely, also, they definitely need the praise because um, 
you know, they're doing a job that most of us wouldn't, you know, they, most of us wouldn't and couldn't, you know what I mean? We just, we just wouldn't have the, the ability, the patience, the skill, it really, they really are unsung heroes. You know, they they truly are. It's amazing what some people can do. And especially when you can see that they're treating them in the same way that you would want them to be treated. That's, that's profound. I mean, over here in Australia, we, in the last few years, we've had a lot of uh, reports and um, there's actually going to be a big, huge um, review on the care of people with disabilities because we found over the years that a lot of people were abused and not only, you know, physically, but sexually abused and stuff like that. So um, there's a huge commission happening at the moment to look into that. Um, and I think that people, because we're only ever seeing on the news the bad people that are, you know, the bad carers out there, that the the good ones are the ones that are forgotten. And I mean, I I think it's important that their stories also be heard. Well, and and not only, you know, when I think about my Chris and the caregivers that that came into his life, but in the United States, and the statistics have to be similar in Australia, uh, right now in the United States, there's 40 million people caring for someone else. Wow. So at some point, we all need someone to care for us. Yeah. We are going to get old. And we're going to try to hold that off and try to be as independent as possible. But at some point, we all are, you know, I was a caregiver to my elderly, to my mother. Uh, wow. Before she passed away, she was became a child. And so... Um, saying thank you to people who look after the most vulnerable populations is is the um, the mission and also going into you know with my son in hospital so much in the last five years of his life watching the nurses who work 12-hour shifts and they're changing the diapers of adult uh, adults yeah and this is a vocation that i couldn't take that job on but they're doing it and so we're going to send actually people with disabilities um, who are higher functioning are going to go through the hospitals with little gifts little coffee cups and with stuff in it and cookies and say thank you that's great to the nurses and the in the more acute care areas because they have a tough job yeah i think that's a, a thing that a lot of people don't think about i mean we're an aging population here in Australia and um, it's, you know, back in the day, you know, the elderly family member would normally live with the family as they aged, be cared for in the home, et cetera, et cetera. Where these days that's not happening. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the time they're being sent into homes. That's another area that is also having a huge review because, there's been so much abuse and, and you know, m- you know, miscare within that industry. Um, I mean, Australia's not a bad place. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, I love it's, Australia. You know, I love it. It's just that I'm, I'm thankful that they are both, both areas are being reviewed because it really does need to happen. Um, I think that with any industry and any job, you're always going to have your people that sh- really shouldn't just be doing the job. I mean, it's just not suited to them at all. Um, and hopefully what we can, you know, what can happen with these reviews is we will get those people out of, you know, both places and only have the people that really want to be there and, 
and offer and give the care that, you know, they're capable of giving, you know? Yeah, I think one of the things that worries me in the United States with, uh, with our immigration policies, I, I don't see it being sustainable when you, you know, when you have an aging population. Here, when you go into hospitals, majority of nurses and caregivers are Filipino, yeah. um, you know, and they're very loving, caring individuals. Right so when we close down our borders... So we got to think this through. Yeah, because, I agree. Yeah, and and I I can imagine it's a similar. Um, oh, it's very similar here. Yeah, like funny enough, in the last few years, we've had a huge influx of um, Indian doctors now, um, and I must say that you know I mean I've been in hospital myself a couple of times and you know interacted with them and absolutely amazing. You know, beautiful, yeah. lovely, caring people. Right. you know really willing to talk to you about what's happening with you and stuff like that where you know even the Australians that I've dealt with weren't like that you know so right. it's it's quite eye-opening when you're actually in the position where you do need the help and you know yeah. need the, the care that's there absolutely um, what would be some advice you'd offer to other parents that um, have a child with disabilities oh I think you know when you when you do have a child with a disability, you become an expert in so many things mm. that, um, you know, I've never been one to just um, go with the status quo. I've always challenged, um, you know, I, I concepts and ideas that the professionals, the people that know better, um, you know, I don't know in Australia, but in the United States, and I, and I can imagine any parent right now um, that I know of here in the United States, so I have to believe that this is happening all over the world. You have pointy-headed bureaucrats making decisions about your future and, and the future of your child that they know nothing about. So here, um, in their great wisdom, that the decision has been made that with people with intellectual disabilities may not live in congregate living communities. So basically, um, all of these, um, what they're saying is people should be integrated into society. Well, I understand that. Yeah. The homes that they live in should be part of the mainstream society. They should live next door to you, next door to anyone. Well, that's a nice choice to have if people want that. People should be given choices. Yep. But the reality of it is, is, um, and you're a different guy, you're a special guy because you get hugs from people with Down syndrome, but <laughs> the, the average guy living next door just goes, who are these kids next door? They don't want anything to do with yeah. those strange people living next door. You and I, and most people, can make a decision when we get older, we're going to live in a retirement community. When, if we get rich, we're going to live in a, where all rich people live in a gated community. Why is it that people with intellectual disabilities cannot live next to people like themselves? Yeah, exactly. So what's happening is the government is causing people to be integrated, but socially isolated. Yeah. And I think until parents stand up and say, 
shut up. You know, don't tell me after 48 years of living with my son, what's the best thing for my son? Yeah. I would like him to be in a community where people understand him, where, where people will know his name and call out his name and run and give him a hug. And so um, this is a big fight in the United States in disability rights. Mm. And the parents are losing that fight because of politics and, and maybe even some well meaning but misguided individuals that think it's the right thing to do yeah. so we have to have choices not one size fits all no so exactly. if it's okay for my son to live in a home next door to the plumber and the banker uh okay but also why is it not okay for live for him to live in a community with people like himself well, I think too that, you know, people forget that there's varying, you know, levels of disability, you know, uh -huh. so therefore one person that can integrate and be happy living or in a community where everyone's active and running around and doing what they do, that's great. That's their choice and that's brilliant. But there's some people that aren't also. I mean, even for myself, I mean, I know that, I mean, I've heard <laughs> in the last few years that they're now contemplating actually creating... Um, you know, retirement villages just for gay people. So we can all hang out and be fabulous together, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that... your choice, why not? I think like, it's an amazing idea. Yeah, if, if you want that. And yeah. if you want to live next door to somebody who has totally different values from everything, yeah. then you should. Exactly. It's just that people have the right... We're all, you know, this is, the, we all have this one life. Yeah. And the difference for you is you can make that decision. That's I right. want to live in a community with people that believe the way I believe or, yeah. or, or a gay community or whatever. But for us parents, we're the ones that are making the decision for our child. And we have to be trusted that we would, we love that child like we love, you know, that any itself, yeah. child. And so we know better. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think the majority of politicians have no idea what they're talking about. Majority right. of them haven't even experienced half the things that they make decisions on. And I mean, right. that's what angers me the most about politics is I would just love to see somebody that's actually lived a life and has, has, has struggled and, and had a hard time and, you know, not been sort of university educated. And I just would love to see some real politicians out there that are actually coming from the background that it seems majority of us have experienced and come from. It, I don't I know, they're like real, alien. Real and <laughs> politician is an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's trust awesome. me, we've got a bunch of idiots here too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think if you're going to get into politics, maybe at the beginning, maybe you really do have, the, you know, maybe you are, maybe you want to do good, but I think you get corrupted right away. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I haven't really, I haven't seen many at all that want to do good. That's the thing. And yeah, sad. It's very sad. It's very sad indeed. Ants talk. It's like Oprah, but not. Now, um, tell us about the book. Where can people find the book? And I know that you have your website, but would you like to read that out, Linda, for us and tell people where they can actually purchase sure. the book? Well, on my website at Linda's Life, uh, dot com. Uh, the book is available, uh, but 
it's also available on all of the online bookstores. So Amazon, sure. Barnes and Noble, all of those traditional uh, places. So uh, it's Unwanted by Linda Smith, and it's a soft cover, hard cover. Um, there's an ebook version, and just about completed right now is an audio version. Right. And the book, um, there's talk of it being made into a movie, which is kind of fun and exciting. Oh, there's a, a screenwriter wrote the screenplay, and he shopped it in Hollywood with some friends from uh, Andre Agassi. Uh, oops, Andre Agassi's manager is shopping it uh, in Hollywood for us. So there might be a movie. And then um, shortly there'll be a second um, book called uh, Confessions of a Sin City Fundraiser. That's my it. next book that I'm <laughs> working on. <laughs> what a great title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. So, yes. And with the Christmas, uh, Christopher Smith Foundation, is that also a separate website or, or does that just link through with your website? You can, you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that because the Christopher Smith Foundation, I lost my Chris um, this, this spring yeah, yeah. and uh, the foundation is new and the website's new. It's the Christopher Smith Foundation and the book is available there also. No matter where you, you purchase the book, 100% of the proceeds go into the Christopher Smith Foundation. So um, that's something that I've dedicated uh, the rest of my life is if I'm going to be an author, um, then that wasn't originally. My, my son provided that journey and that story for me. Exactly. He made me a, a disability advocate. He made me a fundraiser. So I think I'm continuing on the journey that he laid out for me in publishing books with the proceeds going to the Christopher Smith Foundation. It's absolutely incre it's incredible, really. I mean, he's, he's basically given you that gift and, you know, a career for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, yeah, because alternatively right now, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd just be an old dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to talk to an old dancer? <laughs> Kicking your heels up in Las Vegas. <laughs> what the heck? Well, I, I have a story and I became because of him a really good fundraiser. I, I know I've seen, I've seen the figures. You've done some amazing work. Well, you really you. have. So, Linda, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming onto the show and having a chat with us. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure the listeners will love it. Um, also, I just wanted to throw in there that if, if anyone has been triggered by anything that we've spoken about today or would like to speak to somebody if they have any issues, there's also Lifeline in Australia, which you can call on 131114, or, of course, you can Google for help in your own uh, country and city. But thank you again, Linda. I really, really appreciate your time and we wish you all the best. And thank you. And, and thank you to your listeners. Australia is one of my favorite places and my favorite people in the world are Aussies. Well, if you're ever down here, make sure you, you let me know. <laughs> okay. Thanks all so right. much. You take care. Bye. Ants Talk, the next best thing since crumpets.